Hello and welcome to The Blurry Bits. My name is Rob and I am a queer theatre maker. My pronouns are he and him. And I'm Charlie. I'm an actor and a writer. I'm queer and trans. My pronouns are they, them. Together we've made this podcast exploring masculinity with all its beautiful and brutal complex nuances. We have interviewed some of our favourite people to dive into the tricky questions around gender, queerness and class. We want to explore masculinity in all of its shapes and expressions. What's toxic about it? What's tender and vulnerable? When does masculinity feel good, feel sexy and useful? When does the patriarchy squash the good bits? What are the questions we haven't quite got the answers for? Where are the edges and what's in those blurry bits between the binaries? Uh, how's your week been? Um, what have you done? I actually don't know. Let's look in the notes to remind myself. <laughs> what have I been up to this week? Oh, brilliant. I was teaching at East 15, which is the drama school I went to. That oh, was fun. Nice. I did a writing workshop on Zoom, but I also then talked to them about mental health, mm. really. Great. And how to keep safe when you're performing work that was written from personal experience. Because when I was at drama school, there was definitely a culture, and I don't know if it's still the same. There was this kind of like trauma porn culture. I think it's like, you know, share who you are and anything that's happened to you that's dramatic makes for good theatre. And I really fell into that like tortured artist myth. I mean, nightmare. So the first play I wrote was about was about eating disorders when I was still active in in my own eating disorder, and like I look back now and like I'm like that's so mental that I did that. Wow. But I think I think I just didn't think I don't know what was going on. Do you know what I mean? But it's only now, ten years later, that I'm like healthy and happy that I can look back and go that was a really painful stupid thing to do mm. and how did the school let me do that and why did no one say are you all right to do this mm. so i wrote this play and performed it and performed it in edinburgh for a month and basically oh went a bit God. mad so now when i talk to young people i'm like please don't do that yeah like you can actually make brilliant work when you're happy and healthy like you can eat well you can sleep well you don't have to take loads of drugs you don't have to drink loads you don't have to be in violent relationships like you are enough. You're interesting enough. You can make really rock and roll, dark, sexy, exciting work and go to bed on time. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can, and pay your taxes. Like you yeah. can, do you know what I mean? I think there's a strange myth that goes on. And like my experience is getting well has meant that I've made better work and more like dangerous, dark, exciting work, definitely. So I always say that to them whenever I get an opportunity to. And then, of course, they've got loads of questions back on that bit. And they, yeah. they want to know, like, should I have a day job? And do I really need an agent? And do I need to be on social media? And what do you do when someone's a bully? Or what do you do if there's, like, harassment? All of those questions are just not really spoken about at drama school, which is a bit mental. For me, the, the aim of a drama school should be about building resilience in whatever mm -hmm. form, like skill resilience, mental resilience. And it's like a gym is how I see drama school is about mm -hmm. building up a muscle and there are various That's muscles lovely. to sort of think about it. All of those things around socials and am I good enough and that comparing, that's my biggest killer. Oh, they're doing mm. that. They're doing it better. They've done it quicker. Mm. They've done it first. Mm. You know, like, oh God, it's just exhausting. Whereas I'm just doing the thing and it takes time to do that. So that I think it's brilliant that you're doing that. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I, don't, I feel very underqualified to do it. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a teacher and I'm not a therapist. And I always, 
and make that really clear. I'm like, I'm just going to share with you my experience. And if it's useful, cool. And if it's not, there will be someone else you can talk to. But I always do this kind of very public caveat that's like, before I say all this stuff, this is just my personal experience. But I do exactly the same. I think that's, I think <laughs> that's the most useful yeah. because... There's an arrogance, I think, that comes with someone who thinks they know everything. We've talked about this before, mm. right? And so the idea is that you go, this is just my perspective. Then I think there's a clear, precise caveat. The disclaimer I always say at the top is, I'm likely presenting stuff like this is mine. And I know that it's not. I know that I just <laughs> yeah. think it's mine because I've done it so many times. But mm-hmm. I've nicked it from someone else. Someone else has yeah, told me. Yeah, yeah. Or it's a combination of lots of people who have told me. And I think that I've revolutionized something. And I haven't why we still talk about Stanislavski and Shakespeare and all those dead white guys is because they Mm. put it in a book and said it was theirs. Yeah, I've had a bit of a frazzled week. I've had bits and pieces. You know, like when you're juggling lots of projects and so you end up having two or three different meetings or phone calls or emails about different things all on one day. Mm. And this week I found it quite difficult to be like, what what am I doing? Like... It's, it's Tuesday afternoon and I've just spoken about four different things <laughs> this morning. Like, which one of those am I supposed to be concentrating on this afternoon? And like, ideally, I wouldn't have to do that. But I'm just not at that stage in my career when I can just focus on one thing. I don't know if that ever happens, if that's just like an <laughs> illusion where you're like, for the next six weeks, I will only be discussing this piece of work. Is that the voice you'll have when you're you when you've made it? Hello. <laughs> I am Charlie Josephine and I am now successful. Exactly. Whatever. <laughs> I write with a fountain pen. <laughs> <laughs> I won't speak to you then. No, we won't be friends. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes I like the juggling because it means I can't get bored and like I can just jump from one thing to another. And they all sort of fuel each other a bit. Sometimes I find the juggling hard and this week i'm like i feel a bit overwhelmed by yeah. the juggling do you know what i mean i do how do you cope with that when you're also supposed to be in a position of leadership <laughs> like you're supposed to be the king juggler <laughs> you any good at juggling how do you manage it you got you got secretly eight arms or something <laughs> yes that's that's it i'm an octo <laughs> octo man octo man <laughs> i've got really two strong parts of my brain one which is I love a system and it's a little bit obsessive. So I like things in a very particular way, good spreadsheets. My folders on my emails are really clear. And then there's the other strong part of my brain, which is, I don't care. Let's see what happens. I want to be creative. What's this? Mm, Oh, wow. What's that? That smells nice. What's happening? Okay, let's do this. I've got a really great idea. Oh my God. How are we going to do this? What's that? Mm, uh I'm really exhausted. Goodbye. And when those two... That's been my morning. (laughs) It's only 11 yeah, and I'm like, Christ. <laughs> so when those two, when those two voices, when those two parts of my brain, like find themselves and are, are like in sync with each other and the, the, the part of my brain that is systematic can catch all of the random, ridiculous, creative, worrying things that my other part of my brain does. And that's great. Whereas when the system so my brain just gets exhausted which is usually what happens then then i i don't do it like i just give up and i allow myself to give up and it's like fine mm. i'm just not going to do any more emails today or i'm not gonna you know all that crap um mm. but yeah i'm try i'm trying to just do emails at that bit of the day when i've got sort of very little energy which is usually about four o'clock 
which is like bowl of cereal time. <laughs> You've come home from school. Bowl of sugar puffs. Yeah. At that time of day, I'm always craving sugar. I think it's just in my body that it's like, that's bowl of cereal time. <laughs> and, like, and then you crash. I think that should be the time. And then a crash, yeah. yeah. That should be the time that um, I do emails rather than early in the morning when I've got loads of creative energy. Mm. But but I often find myself not being very disciplined with that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. I like your letting yourself approach, being kind to yourself. I'm just watering my plants while we're on the phone. Just realised. I'm not very good at watering plants. They're either overwatered or very dry. Yeah, we... Little wishwash. One of ours died this week. We've got a little oh, fern. No. we got some two succulents and a little fern, and the fern just went, no, <laughs> no. you don't know how to deal with me, so bye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel very well, but you keep watering me, but I'm not doing... Bye. <laughs> like, all right, then. See you later. Brilliant. To Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some plants that I don't want to take with me to my new place. I'm going to do some gorilla gardening this week. Nice. I'm quite excited. I've burrowed my mum's trowel. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she wrapped it in two plastic bags because she said, this is actually an offensive instrument. And I was like, what? She was like, you could hit someone with it. And I was like, I'm not going to do that, mum. Who's your mum murdered? Is she? I know. <laughs> I know. Is this what's happened? So I'm going to sneak out sort of early evening, I think, some point this week and do bit of gorilla gardening what are you planting well i've just got some plants that i don't really want to take with me people are giving them to me and i'm like mm, i don't really like you but the indoor plants and then you're now going to put them outdoors i think they'll be fine i've decided we've had a conversation i've said listen you're going out i don't want to it's cold out there don't let me don't let me it's nice and warm in here i'll get fed you'll, go out, you'll be grateful you'll be grateful pigeons out there i don't want a pigeon instead of <laughs> they shit on people <laughs> They're going to get planted with love. I'll find a nice spot for them. I think it'll be nice. And then I'll come back and go, oh, look, there's now a massive tree or something. My niece yesterday, was it was raining, and my niece yesterday, she came around, and um, she's free. And she's all of a sudden now talking in full sentences. It's like actually having a human like a, that you can have a conversation with. Whereas before, it was just bits of words. And she'd like sort of copy you a little bit. She had to be really careful you swearing. <laughs> and then... Um, but now she like has full full sentences come out of her mouth. It's quite amazing. And it started raining and I went, oh, look, it's raining. She went, it's raining. And then um, I said, all oh, the trees are getting wet. I said, do you think they like it? She said, yeah, it tickles. I said, what? She said, it tickles them. And then she was pretending to be a tree and then getting tickled and then going, ooh, I'm getting tickled. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I thought, fucking hell, you're really smart, aren't you? Creative little being. When did that happen? I love that. And now, and now every time I see the trees and it's raining, I'm like, oh, they're getting tickled. They like it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, really nice. Really nice. Toddler logic. Toddler logic. And my sister said to her, mummy is a girl and daddy is a boy and Charlie is both. And she went, wow, can I be both? And my sister went, yeah, yeah, if you like. She was like, Charlie is big and strong. <laughs> and I just sat next to her on the sofa like, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? My sister says to her, do you want to be a girl or a boy or both? And then she replies, 
That's brilliant. It's cool, isn't That's it? That's brilliant. It's very cool. Good ally in my sister. Yeah. It just makes gender like playful. Like, how do you feel today? Like, oh, I feel like a girl today. Or like, oh, I feel like I'm both. It's cool, or neither. It? Or neither. Yeah, well, she did try and say neither before, but Tilly didn't understand that. But then when she said both, she was like, wow. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's quite cool, isn't it? Brilliant. I want to be both. Can I ask a question? Yes, you can. You call your sister, sister. What does your sister refer to you in terms of the category of... Because I only know brother and sister as a, as a binary of how you talk about your siblings. Yeah, we've spoken about this. Sibling, we don't like. No. This is my sibling, Charlie. It's a bit weird. And brother's not right. The her boyfriend does call me bruv, which is quite nice. He's like, I like having a brother. She would say, this is Charlie. I'm their sister. Oh, that's clever. Or sometimes she'll just call me her sister. Or she'll go, this is my sister. They're non-binary. <laughs> Which is sort of funny. I tell her, it's just complicated because then she was like, do you want to be auntie or uncle? And and then the more we, and then we had a proper giggle fit because if you say uncle 20 times, like it just becomes the most stupid words. And same with auntie really. All the words are silly. Do you know what I mean? Uncle, 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 uncle. <laughs> so I was like, can I just be Charlie? And she was like, yeah. So there's no aunt or uncle. There's just yeah. Charlie. Because I was thinking about it the other day, learning French at the moment. Ooh. And of course, French is is gendered. All their language is gendered. Mm. And then you sort of, well, it's, so in, it's so ingrained in literally the way that we communicate. And mm. while it isn't so explicit within the English language, it's still, there is still no word if you're not a brother or a sister. Mm. And, and I just think that's yeah. mad, strange. Because in French, isn't it le... And then la. Le and la. So le, yeah, le is masculine, la. And there's not one in the middle, no. is there? What if it's plural? Then it's uh, le. So um, L-E-S. So the, Oh, so would you say that yeah. for someone that's non-binary? Or you could do, yes, you could. Yeah, you can say, so you can still say they, but but even the objects, even the things. Yeah, yeah. Why is a table ma- masculine? Yeah. Or, the logic just doesn't, yeah. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. It's very weird. Rob, what, who have we got on the podcast today? Well, on this episode of The Blurry Bits, uh, we're going to be speaking to Christian Graham, who is a playwright and actor. He got introduced to theatre through organisations like the National Youth Theatre, Brit School and the National Theatre Young Company. Since becoming a writer, he has worked with companies like the Orange Tree Writers Collective, High Tide Writers Academy, Tallower Firsts and the Park Theatre's Script Accelerator. His first play, Boys Cry, will feature at the Omnibus Theatre in London later this year. So yeah, we want to uh, use this podcast as a way of having conversations with people about masculinity and what's beautiful about it and what's complicated about it and uh, what are people's current understandings or lived experiences of it. So the first question is like, what even the fuck is masculinity, Christian? Yeah, so it's interesting. So for me, masculinity, it feels like this received definition of manhood in whatever kind of um, culture you're in. So obviously that does shift and change, I guess, in, in terms of kind of looking at the, yeah, that side of, of maybe maybe an acknowledgement of a type of binary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a hard one for me because obviously I, cause I, I do feel like um, 
I feel masculine or masculine presenting. At the same time, I'm also like, you know, in, in many ways, it doesn't really exist. And I, and I'm just like, you know, I, I feel like it's, ma- it's maybe a bunch of things that culturally we use to make sense of a uh, experience that, that doesn't necessarily make much sense to us and uh, a way to kind of rationalize the way that we are. I, I feel like masculinity in general feels quite good when I have a sense of brotherhood or kind of I'm talking uh, with, with other men who have certain experiences and we're able to maybe share and emote and and kind of I think break out of these definitions of masculinity that we uh, feel are a bit troublesome and uh, where we can also kind of hold each other accountable and yeah and really kind of like also discuss stuff as well I feel like that's something that you know yeah when I'm able to kind of get together with 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 guys who are like okay but can we deconstruct this a little bit that's that's always something that I find really positive on the flip side of things I think it can also be quite well yeah it can it can cage you off from a lot of things I don't remember the exact name of the YouTube video but I remember this guy talking about this thing called the man box and and I was like oh that's really interesting because there's sometimes there are basically occasions where you're you're doing things in life and then you might want to strive for something but you step backwards because that's not something that's in the man box and you can't and 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 you you feel like you can only like i don't know it might be wearing the color pink or something like that or doing something else that you feel is um stereotypically reserved for for women therefore you kind of creatively uh, box yourself off and it, and that's unfortunate because just in an in an ideal world you'd be able to you you wouldn't necessarily worry about what other people thought about your gender expression just because of the things that you do yeah and it might it might even be t- to do with like who who you love and all that kind of stuff and it and it it it, it, it just feels like it can be quite uh, restrictive if you if you really put ham, hammer down solid definitions and kind of you're like this is what it is and you can't step out of here because if you step over there then you're not a man and that's one of, that's one of the major things I think that um, that I think men in general are really struggling with um, is just those kind of those um, wor- worries about judgment stepping outside of those things that will kind of I don't know somehow take away your manhood which obviously no one can really take that away from you but have you got any particular like um any things in mind that you like don't mind sharing that you like particularly struggle with that like is seemingly outside of your man box um or like anything that used to be that you're like oh no actually I feel quite free to like play with that now and explore that now it does stuff feel a bit easier for you and like within reach now yeah so I feel like there are still loads of things that I'm probably working on to try and uh yeah be be a bit more open with just my 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 self-expression but let me see though I think just let me see let me see because there's loads of stuff I I feel like when I was younger I used to like be very like I'm, I'm still working on it, but I feel like I used to take rejection very personally and kind of go mm-hmm. just like in a relationship kind of context, just feel like, okay, well, this person is rejecting me because I haven't put across this picture of manliness, which if I mm-hmm. learn to perform properly, then I won't have to ever worry about rejection again, which is absolute bollocks because it's, it's all about, <laughs> you know, it's all about connection. It sounds like so much pressure. It sounds like so much pressure to put on once I get to this place and I'm safe and I'm never, ever going to be rejected ever again. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think that's that's something that I kind of lived with. Yeah, and and also I I I felt like out of the men in my household, which was my my father and my brother, I felt like I was probably the least quote unquote masculine. Which for me, I think at that point meant that I was losing some sort of game, and it's and and it shouldn't, and you know, and you shouldn't be measuring yourself up really to anyone, but also it's very toxic to try and measure yourself up to people living in the same house as you and kind of be comparative and and also there's there's like nothing wrong with having an expression that might be like even if you could measure it if it was slightly less masculine it doesn't really even mean anything at all in terms of like i don't know just just being valid yeah un- unhealthy Rob, you were like nodding vigorously then throughout that. Is that something you relate to? I was just, I was just sort of trying to think about like where we learned that. Like, I really like this idea of about a man box, and it's a bit of a paradox. Like, it's a bit of a. a a contradiction for me because the idea of a box feels very rigid uh, but then obviously that's sort of how it feels sometimes right it's, it's either it's either this or that it's either like, shall I wear the pink uh, jumper or shall I not am I am I man enough or not have I got enough stuff in the box mm-hmm. um, but I'm really interested about where you learn that from you've talked about it as a game and you've talked about it as like learning this thing that you've got to be I'm just interested from from your point of view where you think you learned that from because you know, we don't we don't come into this world and it's like here's the manual guys if you just follow it like you're sorted it, it's obviously mm. coming from somewhere and I'm, I'd be interested from your point of view where you think that's come from for you so I think there's all, all kinds of yeah all kinds of different things that are kind of working on us subconsciously but also actually I was looking at this thing that was like about kind of uh, the tv that like our kids watch and obviously I was watching something different in the 90s um, I'm a 90s baby but I think some of that can kind of uh, heavily contribute when you think of like some of the jobs that the, that people have in in kids programs they're quite stereotypical and you're mm-hmm. kind of like oh right okay so I don't know so like Bob the Builder and all that kind of stuff and like they ha- well they have to be guys and you couldn't necessarily sometimes they've got quite rigid gender roles that they're kind of ingesting from that age so i think that's kind of something that uh that can kind of have an effect um you've obviously got like sometimes quite traditional family structures i think particularly when you've got well so my 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 family are from uh jamaica and guyana i think sometimes when you've got a family kind of coming in and assimilating they kind of feel the need to uh reproduce what they feel be accepted um, um amongst them and if if they kind of they, they come and they land somewhere where they're kind of like okay right these feel like these are the rules then it makes sense that they'd kind of be like okay right and also try to maybe subconsciously pass them on to their kids so that their kids are safe that's really um, interesting the idea of assimilating the idea of um safety i think is a really really interesting way because i think i my from my experience of school I think there was lots of things that I did that I thought was misdirection to to either my queerness or my how I felt my masculinity was. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not man enough. I don't play football. I I don't do I don't do what the, the cut out version of a, a boy man looks like. And yeah. for me, safety was really important. The idea of almost disappearing. I th- I think safety is a really interesting aspect of um, trying to do the right thing, whatever the hell yeah. that is. Mm. Where are the safe spaces? for you to like explore these big questions about your identity i know that you've worked with talawa before who focus on championing black excellence and 
established and emerging artists from African and Caribbean heritage. So I don't know, like, could you speak a bit about your experience of working with them and what it's been like to develop some theatre with them? How has like that quite blatant naming of like race, like this is a space for these kind of people, like how does that feel like a safe space to then create work? Yeah, so when I was working with them, I think it was back in 2017, it was really wonderful actually to be in that kind of space because um, it was one of the first times actually that within a theatre context, I'd kind of been working on a piece of theatre and someone working in a producerial context was like, here are a bunch of black directors uh, that we think are interesting that might work with this. And before then, uh, it hadn't really been suggested that I work with other black people. And I kind of, I think within a, within the, within different theatrical rooms, I was often the only black person in the room. And so I don't know, it just did, it just didn't feel like a possibility I don't think so that yeah so that was a really nice place to just kind of be like even if we're in a room and we're not explicitly being like anyway so today blackness da, 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 it, we, we can just exist and tell our own stories and feel empowered that they're going to be fighting for us in that kind of sense uh, and e- even in like some of the casting it was really nice because there, there were a couple roles that needed to be uh, that needed to be cast and they had their eyes out for different axes of color that were like that were really doing their thing and yeah and it was it was just really nice to feel um supported there i had my first play basically in their new writing festival teller first just experimenting with something also actually that had um a kind of yeah which was also about masculinity in some ways um and because that play it's it's overarching thing is is that it's about friendship and this this young man coming back to his hometown after a, a, a certain amount of kind of self-imposed exile and kind of seeing how he's changed and the place has changed and all that kind of stuff. This person that he hasn't that he's got a bit of an estranged relationship with has a kid and he's kind of being like, okay, maybe I need to support this person and be uh, be a father. And so there's something I guess ni- nice in that kind of parental. Mm, in a parental soft masculinity where he's um, discovering that role and what that might mean and kind of like how uh, how he doesn't necessarily have to shoulder the burden of being a parent uh, on his own. And I think that the, the culture that we live in would have you think that that as a man you have to anything that you have to shoulder that has to be on you and you have to be doing the bulk of whatever it is. Which is which is an odd thing because I think there's a very much kind of like yeah that's a culture of heavy lifting um, emotionally and physically that you need to that you're ex- expected to maybe just automatically do. Sounds really lonely. Yes. Yeah. Like that thing of that individualism. Like, don't ask for anyone for help because I'm worried about what they would think of me if they knew that I was asking for help. And so I'm just going to have to work this all out on my own by myself. And I might tell you afterwards that I had a difficult time a little while ago, but I'm not going to tell you during the time. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just like I'm succeeding in life because I'm capable of shouldering this heavy burden all by myself. Like, just such an exhausting pressure yeah yeah I think that side of masculinity really can be and just that kind of yeah that whole strongman thing on the other side like places where yeah places where I feel like I can be a bit more relaxed and where I feel um a bit more supported I'd say I have a really nice um family setup I'm I'm lucky to kind of uh, live with two cousins that are really that are really supportive and and my parents have always been really great and I remember my (laughs) my dad back back when I was living at home I can't remember why I can't remember why but I was crying 
I was just, I was crying and then crying because I was crying. And I let my dad know and he was like, look, <laughs> it's like, if you're crying because you're crying. Like, look, it's like, just, just, you know, know that, that you need to, you need to let it out. And I'm, and I'm going to be absolutely fine with you letting it out. And you don't need to prove anything to me by holding it in, which I think was really, I think it was really good for me, particularly as I was kind of like really seeing my dad cry, unless it's like, I don't know, like under certain circumstances, like just very injured or something. So I think I was kind of like, oh gosh, I can't, I can't let the side down. What's, what's good is, uh, yeah, he always let me know that it's okay to be emotional and to be vulnerable. I remember seeing my dad cry for the first time and it was like the most shocking thing in the world and I couldn't work out. And I, go, I do go back to that moment quite a few times because I haven't seen him cry since. What it, What is that about? <laughs> what the hell? Like, you know, I've seen my mum cry. I've seen lots of other people. I've seen lots of people cry. Um, but there was just something about that. And of course, it's exactly what you're saying about the idea of, you know, holding things in or keeping it in the box or, you know, being strong whatever that means. Um, mm. Ironically for me, crying is being strong in in a very different mm. way. You're developing a new show called Boys Cry. Yeah. It, does that draw from that experience? Yeah, I, I think that's that's somewhere subconsciously in there. Essentially, yeah, that, that's about dealing with complex emotion and having to, and, and yeah, and, and having a pile up from things being held in. But at its centre, basically inspired from a moment in my life, basically um, I was mugged on the way to school by a guy who was carrying a knife and after after that I was kind of well you know obviously shaken up but also working on yeah working on how to deal with it I, I think I didn't really yeah I didn't particularly understand all the motions that were going on but I knew that I don't know I think I felt like as a guy I wasn't it wasn't going to be accepted if I was hugely emotional I had to kind of reevaluate my ideas on masculinity so that I could kind of be like actually you need to like give yourself a break it was a very hard time and writing the writing the play was a I think it was a way that I was also able to recontextualize and kind of go through go through what had happened uh kind of analyze my and yeah analyze recovery and some of those yeah some of those things that I felt were quite toxic it was quite interesting because I've recently been reading this book by Akala where he kind of talks about growing up as a, a young a young black man in in London. I was just like, yeah, there there is some of this kind of uh, this expectation, and even on the side of the guy with the knife, a kind of self fulfilling prophecy of these guys will uh, will carry knives, and there, and there, so there's a there's a kind of um, I don't know, just just a, a feeling of like. You're, you're on the one hand, you're trying to outrun that, but as a, as a man, that's kind of like leveling up if you're on the streets and you're with a group and you're one of the mandem and it's like, Oh, what, what have you done? Oh, yeah. Well, I've been able to get this cash from this guy. Oh, yeah. It was just me. I had a knife, but blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, that it's it's also something that kind of comes when you live in a place where there's where there's deprivation, and they feel like they have to um, that they have to steal because there's there's no no other way to necessarily get what they want. Sometimes, but I think yeah, I think one thing that definitely feeds into it is this um, sense of masculinity being earned, and in some cases, it might be uh, a thing of being like, well, I earned mine, 
by carrying this knife. I'm really interested in that idea of earning it, like what we do to earn it. We were chatting to someone previously who spoke about um, kind of rites of passage that other cultures do where like you reach puberty and then you might go out into the forest and I don't know, kill a deer or something. And then you come back and you are a man, you know, and how culturally we don't, we don't have that in Britain. Um, And how perhaps young people are sort of subconsciously like desperately trying to find the thing, the ceremony or the action or the performance mm-hmm. the moment when oh i've entered manhood now and you and that can't be denied by anybody else because i killed a deer you know and like yeah it just it it's interesting i was chatting to my stepdad about um who used to be in the army and like he was like, i really think that like young people should do some kind of service like when they graduate from school and okay. and also like what you were just saying there about the intersection between race and class and masculinity like has um has your has your has your experiences with race and class and masculinity like do they intersect even intellectually or in your lived experience well it's quite interesting they definitely um yeah there are there are these intersections primarily i'm probably very aware of myself as as a man but there are certain things that kind of you go through in the day-to-day that remind you that you are black I don't know. I, I, I remember like, um, and this is another thing that was from Akala's book. This is just going to be a whole thing about Akala. Um, but, <laughs> um, but it was just, it was just funny because he was like, as, as a young black inner city teen, he felt like there was a kind of, um, he felt like there's a certain age that you're most, uh, kind of under most combat in, not under most combat, but kind of as a teen. Uh, then you're kind of like in a bit of a danger zone and then maybe you hit a point in your later 20s where you're expected to just to to be a bit more mature and there's a little less heat on you in that kind of sense it's interesting because like in terms of like police uh stopping me and all that kind of stuff when i was when i was a teenager it was definitely more much more pronounced and i remember actually as well that was the only time that I got stopped in a stopped in this record store uh, in Croydon by the, by this uh, shop assistant that thought I'd taken something, and I was literally just walking out the walking out this, the shop. So I know that being a being a young black man at a, at a certain age, in particular, uh, but yeah, and particularly as a teen, you are seen as inherently dangerous. I don't know if other 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 um, genders would 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 feel it in the same way. Um, but I certainly felt like, um, yeah, I certainly felt like I was seen as dangerous and therefore you kind of, I don't know, you, it, it makes you, it makes you a bit more wary. And I think you're then in a space where you're both trying to perform masculinity, which is this thing where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm this thing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hard. But then also at the, on the other end, trying to, obfuscate that trying to be like oh yeah actually i'm also not 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 dangerous in any way and and the two don't necessarily marry together in any way that makes sense um yeah so there's a so there's a bit of a tension there for sure for you christian where are they you spoke about some of the things that you love about when masculinity is good is when you're talking to like you've got a brotherhood you're talking to other men about the complexities and of, of masculinity, where are those spaces for you? Where Where is it that you're able to thrive and sort of 
really battle and talk about these these nuances and complications and this box and whether it exists or not where are those spaces okay so i'd say um for a long while it's been um it's been the theater in a, in a theater space i i think i was always allowed to have it was just another place where i was able to have those uncomfortable conversations in in different ways and um just kind of uh, play about and have and be okay to also look stupid in a room with other people just kind of bouncing around for a long for a long time as well it was church uh, I felt like so I, I used to be brought along by my parents and I think that that felt like somewhere where there were I guess just older men who also felt like quite positive and community minded. That's something that I still kind of draw on now and again. And where else? Where else? Um, yeah, with, with different friends and stuff. Like I went for a, a coffee the other day for the first time in absolute ages, which was hilarious. Um, uh, me and a friend sat outside the National Theatre, um, and which I didn't, I didn't even know they'd opened the, the bar back again, but they have. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yes, let's do this. And we were talking. So, yeah, we're both guys. And it was just really nice to uh, go and, and yeah, have, have a bit of a chat about everything and nothing and be really kind of like, I think we, we were joking like years ago with a, uh, with a friend, with another friend. We were like, yeah, it was just the lads, 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 lads. <laughs> You know, but with, with nothing like that. But it's also just nice to kind of hang, hang around with someone who's also quite artsy. And I feel like neither of us really worry that much about performance. And, and actually, I think um, that's something that um, has kind of been uh, going around in my socials at the moment, I think, is that um, during, uh, during the pandemic, a lot of people have felt less pressure to uh, perform gender. We've spoken about that a lot, about the idea of audience and the idea about, you know, are we anything unless there's an audience? Can we be certain things without an audience, whether that is just people on the street or literal audience? And I, yeah, I think it's a really, I think it's really interesting that people feel as though they haven't had to in, in this, you know, in this strange time. I think it's good. Yeah, it goes back to that first definition that you said right at the beginning of this, which was, like I think you said something like these are prescribed definitions yeah. that masculinity is like a prescribed definition and mm. and it's like inherited and just passed on and like I think something like a global pandemic that forces everyone to have this kind of pause where you're not really watched and you can just slob around in your pajamas for a bit maybe mm-hmm. if that's what your life has been like yeah. then it is interesting to go oh, okay there's no there's no gaze there's no male gaze there's no pressure there's no like the external noise is turned down a little bit, hopefully. Mm. And then we can go, oh, actually, this thing that I've been doing, do I want to do that anymore? Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm kind of like optimistic that everyone's going to come out of the lockdown like beautiful butterflies <laughs> and are going to be like <laughs> having been in little cocoons and come out and be like, fuck the patriarchy. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. <laughs> everyone's going to be a bit happier. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that'd be They're, nice, wouldn't it? If everyone's just a little bit more chilled and able to have a laugh and be like, lads, 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 not really. <laughs> 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 Talking about like feeling optimistic about the future, I wondered what is next for you? Like, what are you excited about? What are you making at the moment? Like, what's the next sort of couple of months 
end of the year going to look like for you? At the moment, I'm going to be focusing on two things um, in terms of Boys Cry. So it was originally going to be part of the um, Edinburgh Fringe 2020. Um, which, that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my big Whoops. Um, <laughs> Rest in peace, all of the theatre that didn't get made that year. But I think the the good thing is I'm still kind of still got a good connection with Gilded Balloon, and I'm basically we're going to see what happens over the next couple of months. And Omnibus Theatre are um, really excited about it, so um, it'd be good to. We're kind of we're kind of perspectively looking at possibly september but i think kind of i'll definitely keep everyone updated on how that's going um what's nice is that i've got a kind of a good team together for that and um there's a lot of really talented people certainly it's really nice to be working with like um ebe bamgoye um who's like recently joined the team and um titi lola dawidi who's producing who i'm who i met late last year properly when she was producing um hear me now which uh, the, I think the, the podcast actually should still be on uh, Tamasha. But either way, yeah. So Boys Cry, well, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. And I'm trying to kind of like get back to this Brexit play that I've been kind of working on for a while. We've gone five episodes without saying the word Brexit. And you put it in there, Christian. I can't believe we got there. Thanks for putting a downer on it. We talk pandemic. We talk about toxic masculinity. Hello, you're bringing a bloody play about Brexit. Go on, tell us about tell us about your bloody Brexit play. Go on. Um, well, so it started like um, a while back, and I ended up get, getting it into Script Accelerator, this thing with Park Theatre, and so did 20 minutes of that, and it was kind of about uh, the, the culture that produced Brexit, but also this uh, doomed relationship between a Swedish woman and a man from Britain. There was a kind of like, oh, look at the metaphors, relationships. <laughs> um, and, um, Brilliant. Um, and it's ev- evolving into something that's a bit more complex. I think I'm, basically I'm, I'm, I'm working on making something that feels a little more, a little, a little more like a play and a little less like a kind of diary excerpt at the moment I mean, it was a little bit i think it was a little bit eastenders and i want to kind of talk a bit more about the politics of it and so yeah so i'm just kind of working on the script for that at the moment also trying to keep it a bit more upbeat because i feel like sometimes you deal with weighty political issues and everyone's like great i was asleep but <laughs> you know um so yeah so we'll see how that goes amazing christian thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, today it's been uh, an absolute brilliant insight into um the work that you do and and uh your views on masculinity so thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it okay thank you that's great next time on the blurry bits my masculinity gets tested in the sense that i was brought up by women brought up by my big sister and my my mum and i can't do some of the things what my mates can do you know like even put up a shelf and like handyman stuff like i'm useless The Blurry Bits was presented by Charlie Josephine and Rob Watt. Sound design and editing was by Rob Watt. If you like the podcast, then please do subscribe. And uh, if you're up for it, give us a five-star review. Please find us on all socials at The Blurry Bits. See you next time.